Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to worship with Garfield Memorial Church. Welcome to folks who are here face-to-face. Welcome to everyone joining us online. And I said good morning, but maybe online. It's, you know, uh, next Wednesday evening. Who knows? It's all good that we're together in one way, shape, or form worshiping God. And, and together, really, the one way that we need to be together is in the Spirit, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. My name is Scott Blevins, part of the teaching team here at Garfield Memorial Church and Microchurch Missional Director. Uh, uh, I'm wearing a t-shirt today, and I, this is only, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's only the third time I've worn a, pre-shirt, a t-shirt to preach in at Garfield Memorial Church. I, I don't do it by accident. I'll explain the shirt a little bit later in the sermon, but I just wanted you to wear, be aware that I was aware that I was wearing a t-shirt. Um, we are, uh, well, actually, before I jump into the, to the sermon stuff, I want to take a moment and just acknowledge uh, here, and, and we can, you know, offer up prayers silently uh, for, for the victims of the shootings at Walmart uh, and Club Q in the past eight days here. Um, uh, and, and particularly, uh, I, I want to particularly remember the folks that were, were shot and some five killed, 25 wounded at Club Q because that was so clearly a, uh, a hate-based shooting, um, a, a shooting and a crime based on, on and motivated by bias and hatred. And I just want to mention the names of those that were killed. Um, Kelly Loving, Daniel Aston, Derek Rump, Ashley Paul, and Raymond Green Vance. Um, and uh, may God bless them. And, and their fam- well, God bless their families and their friends and, and bless those who were wounded as well um, with grace and peace and healing at this time. Uh, heading into to, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas with, with all of that happening in their lives, I cannot imagine what those families are going through right now. Um, we are uh, heading into the Christmas season. We've got the poinsettias up uh, and... and, and some of them are in the corner as well. I'm hoping we're going to start singing Christmas songs too. I love Christmas songs. Um, uh, the Christmas series officially begins next week though. Today we're wrapping up the series on Ephesians, God's blueprint for the church. But next week we're going to begin our series, uh, uh, O Come, O Come, based on the antiphons of the ancient church. And um, uh, it's... it's as part of this, we will be talking a lot about the Christmas offering, and, and it's important to know that this is not fundraising time of the year with Garfield Memorial Church. It just happens to be the time of the year that most of the giving happens, or a large portion of the giving, something like 35% for the church comes in. And, and, and we're, not, 
We're not fundraising to maintain an organization for the sake of maintaining an organization. We are talking about giving as part of our working together to pursue the mission and the ministry, the purpose and plan that God has for us. And that plan is what we're talking about today, again, wrapping up the series in Ephesians on God's blueprint for the church. Now, I need you to use your imaginations for a bit as we uh, get into this, uh, this final sermon in that series. Um, and, and imagine that we're all jumping out of an airplane together with a parachute on. We got parachutes. Everyone's got your parachute on, right? Okay, good. Uh, And we're going to take a view at this message first from a a high altitude view where we can see a really broad perspective and a grand sweep. And then by the end of it, our feet will be on the ground and we're going to be walking and moving in a direction. So we're going to go from a real, real high level overview to a real, real practical nuts and bolts, feet on the ground kind of thing with the message today. And and just where it's going, we're going to talk about God's purpose for the, church, for the world, God's purpose for the church, God's uh, plan for maintenance for the church, and this business of abundantly more than we can ask or imagine that, uh, that was just read to us. So starting off straight on with God's purpose for the world. We're going to deal with this very briefly. I know, that sounds silly. How can we possibly deal with God's purpose for the entire world? And really, it's more than the world. It's the entire cosmos most everything. How can we do that briefly? Like this. Uh, I'm going to give you that purpose in one sentence as part of a sentence, actually, that Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. God's purpose for the world is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's purpose is to unite all things, all things. And that Greek word all means all, everything, natural created world, human beings, all things, and throughout the cosmos in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. And the heavens, by the way, for uh, the folks in Paul's day, heaven was not simply a a plane of spiritual existence um, apart from the physical world. The heavens were the sky as far as it went, all the way up for us, all the way to the ends of the universe. That's what God's purpose for the world is to unite it all in him. Uh, That's a big purpose. And God's plan, a big part of God's plan for that purpose is us, the church. God has called us out and set us apart for a purpose in this world and a purpose that's consistent with his purpose for the world. It would be silly if he called us out and set us apart for a purpose that had nothing to do with his larger purpose. It does. We're a key part of God's larger purpose. God's purpose for the church then, we're gonna take a look at that. God's purpose for the church is for the church to be a witness. Hear this in Ephesians chapter three, verse 10. Through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I got a a dry mouth today, so I'll be drinking. I apologize to all of that crinkling on the bottle. God's plan for us is not just to be a witness to human beings. That's hugely important. A big part of it when just before, I'm sorry, I hiccuped. Sorry about that. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, His disciples are gathered around him, and part of his final words to them were, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
you will be my witnesses. Clearly, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, they understood that to mean bearing witness, giving their testimony to other people about who Jesus is, God in the flesh, Messiah. Paul expands that even further. Not just witnesses to other people, but the church is a witness to the principalities, the powers, the spiritual forces that exist on heaven, in, he, in the heavens and on the earth. God is putting us on display, not for our glory, but for his glory. And what is it that we're, a witness testifies? That's what a witness does. It's a legal term. When a witness gets on the stand, the only thing they are allowed to share is what their personal experience and observations, what they saw, what they heard, what they know, not through what someone else has told them, but what they personally experienced. And what is it that the church is a witness of? God's purpose for the church is for us to live as a witness of God's loving unity in the world. Remember, God's purpose in the world, in the cosmos, is to unite all things in him, all things in him. And our purpose is to live as a witness to that loving unity because you're not going to find it anywhere else in this cosmos. There is way too much hatred, way too much division, way too much hostility, way too many factions, way too much fighting, way too much pride and arrogance in one group dominating or attempting to dominate over another. And in fact, lots of groups fighting for dominance in various parts of this world on smaller and larger scales. In the church, we're to be a witness of thy kingdom come, thy will be done, God's kingdom, a little slice of it here on earth in the church, bearing witness to God's unity, God's loving unity in the world. Paul said it this way in chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. Boom. Boom. There we go. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Do you get the sense that one is an important concept for Paul here, that Paul feels is an important concept for all of us? Remember, Ephesians was written not just to a particular group of Christians in a particular geographic location. It was written to be circulated a letter among all the churches in the Mediterranean, all of the churches in the world at that time. And now we're in the world, and so it's for us. And this is an important thing for us. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of us all. That's what we're being witnesses of. This unity that God is creating in this world. This unity amidst and amongst diversity. Our witness is that we are a diverse body, reconciled to God and with each other, humbly living together in the unity born of love. There's a lot there to unpack, and we're going to unpack that. But we're diverse, we're reconciled with each other and with God, humbly living together in unity and a unity born of love. There are a lot of forces in this world trying to tear anyone and anything apart. It's easy to find that the forces of destruction and division and hostility and enmity. Um, and, and when you go through what Paul, in a lot of his letters, he'll do, do sort of sin lists, things that are wrong and things that, that people living in, the, in part of the church and the body of Christ shouldn't be involved with. In Ephesians, they're all about division. 
attitudes and actions that cause division and enmity and strife that separate people one from another and one group from another. As the forces of evil, principalities, and powers, our enemies manifested in this world seek to divide and factionalize us. They use these divisions to promote fear and hostility and destructive violence of one group against the other. The church is God's plan to show those powers and the people of this world that God's purpose and God's plan is a humble, loving, just unity of the reconciled, diverse people. That's God's plan. And that's what God wants to show the world through us. That's our witness. That means our witness is not some things. There are some things that it's easy for us as the church to think that our witness is when it's not. They might be important things. They might be important things. Uh, Quality, excellent teaching and preaching, I think, is an important thing. That's been my life for the last, you know, 25 years here. But that's not our witness. It's not our witness. I mean, the world can find excellent teaching and public speaking, you know, on TED Talks, on YouTube. Find some great stuff there. Our witness is not, if that's God, let them know we're listening. So... I live in fear that my phone will go off uh, when I'm preaching, and, and, and it has before, so I can laugh. Um, that's not our witness. Another part of our, you know, excellent music, as important as that is, that's not our witness. The world can find excellent music on YouTube, on Spotify, and a lot of other places around. That's not our, that's not our witness. Um, excellent programming is not our witness. Excellent fundraising is not our witness. Excellent management is not our witness. Excellent leadership is not our witness. Our witness is unity and diversity. Reconciled people living in a unity based on love and justice rather than factions and domination and hierarchical power structures that that force one group into submission to another. Dorotheus of Gaza is one of my favorite dudes in the Christian faith. Uh, uh, he lived about 1,500 years ago, and way back in seminary, 25, 30 years ago, I, I uh, read one of his, well, he didn't write a book. He had a lot of writings that someone else collected into a book and thankfully translated into English. Um, and it was a collection of quotes at the end, just numbered quotations from Dorotheus. I read one, and it struck me and profoundly in two ways. One is this is this is... There was that, you ever read something you think, this is the Holy Spirit talking to me? I had that moment in that, that God's saying, Blevins, this is me, you need to hear this and receive this. Profound in that way, and then profound in the way that it was exactly the opposite of what I had been taught in my life. Hear this, hear this. Dorothea said this, if it is my duty to get something done, I prefer it to be done with my neighbor's advice, even if I do not agree with him and it goes wrong rather than to be guided by my own opinion and have it turn out right. I was raised with, if you want something done right, you better do it yourself. And the implication behind that is that the core value is that if a thing needs to be done, that it be done right. Dorotheus saw what it's taken me 53 years to wrap my brain around, and only by the grace of God, that the core value in God's mind and in the church is not to get a thing done right, 
but to get things done together. It's the unity that's our witness. Anyone can go in many other places in the world to find folks who can get things done right. But our witness is in the diversity, that unity in the diversity. It's our living as reconciled, diverse people, living in humble, just, I'm sorry, living in humble, I'm going to try this again. I wrote it down so I wouldn't do this, but I'm doing this. I'll get it right. It is in our living as reconciled, diverse people, living in humble, love, and justice-based unity in and through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to break all of that down. I'm going to break it down. We're going to look at the whole diversity piece. Oh, there it was on the screen. I should have just turned around and looked. I forgot I made a slide of that one. Um, Let's go to the next one, though. Um, I'm going to look at diversity here. Diverse. We're diverse people. We have seen already, and, and if, if you've, whether you've been a part of Garfield for a short time or a long time, you've heard and seen a lot about diversity, and that diversity is not peripheral. It's central to the gospel. Um, at, this is John in the book of Revelation had a vision of, of the kingdom that's coming, that this, this culmination, this, this, in, you know, this of, of what God's doing and God's plan and purpose, and he saw this. After this, I looked up, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lord. Diversity is central to what God's doing. Having unity amongst homogeneity is nothing special about that. It's unity in diversity. And, and, and by the way, I should say that this is unity we're talking about, not uniformity. Uniformity can be enforced, you know, the Soviet empire did a lot to enforce uniformity. The Nazis did a lot to enforce uniformity. The problem, there's a lot of problems with that. One of the things about uniformity, though, that's enforced by bullying and, and power-hungry folks that say it's all going to be our way um, is that when, when you, when you re- withdraw the threat, the unity falls apart. The uniformity falls apart. And those factions reopen and the violence reignites almost immediately. Unity is something that grows up organically, that God grows up within us and among us. And it's based on love and justice. Reconciled. Reconciled. We've got to remember that we're reconciled in all of this. Um, that, that our presence in the church, our presence before God, our presence in the kingdom of heaven is not based on any work that we have done. We didn't earn it. We didn't achieve it. God doesn't owe it to us. It's 100% a gift. By grace, we're saved through faith, but it's a gift of God, not of works. None of us can boast. We're reconciled as a gift of God. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself is what Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians. And then when he spoke to the Ephesians, when he was writing this, uh, this letter that we're in today, Paul said this, abolishing the law. This is God acting. God abolishing the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. Reconciled. 
We've been part of the division. All of us have. And by God's gift and by God's grace, we can gather and be part of the reconciliation. Reconciled with God, reconciled with each other. Humbly living together. Humbly. Humility has to be part of all of this. We can't come in it with pride. And and this is really where I should have talked about the by grace you're saved through faith stuff because that's part of the humility too. That, That... if we, can't, if we come together somehow thinking any one of us or any group within us thinking, well, we deserve to be here and y'all just need to get in line with the program, there's no humility in that. And ultimately, there's no unity in that. Unity, unity is possible when we can come together humbly with love. Humility. Just want to give you a real general definition of humility. There are a lot of them out there. This is one of my favorites. Humility is thinking rightly about ourselves. Thinking rightly about ourselves. Humility is not about bashing ourselves. Oh, we're awful. Oh, we're terrible. Oh, this is horrible. It's not what humility is. Humility is thinking rightly about ourselves. It is true that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. It is also true that we, are, we were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You know, God says, depending on your translation, we're either a little less than the angels or a little less than the gods, human beings. Psalm chapter 8, look it up. Look at three or four different translations. It'll mess with your mind. All of those things are true, but we've got to think rightly about ourselves. Broken. Connecting diverse people who share a common brokenness. We are broken. And we need to remember that too so we can come together with humility and seek each other's counsel and seek each other's love and seek each other's compassion and support and encourage each other, defying the forces of evil by making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's where we put the work in. We don't put the work into our salvation. Jesus put the work into that. He did it on the cross. He rose again. That's all good. We put our work into maintaining the unity of the Spirit and a bond of peace. And a bond of peace. That's God's plan for the church, to be this kind of witness in the world. Now, God's got a plan for the church, The church is this body. Um, You know, part of the blueprint, part of the plan is going to be maintenance. How do we maintain this? Paul said it. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How do we do that? What are the keys to doing that? We're going to go back and look at Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord... I'll look at it up here. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The calling to which we have been called to be this witness of loving, humble unity amidst diversity. Walking in a manner worthy of which you have been called with all humility. We talked about that already. With gentleness. We've got to be kind and compassionate and gentle with each other. We're going to step on each other's toes. It's going to happen. You can't get a group of people together for any length of time without stepping on toes. Anybody get their toes stepped on at Thanksgiving this week? Anybody step on anybody's toes at Thanksgiving this week? It was one or the other, I promise you. There was toe stepping happening. Same thing happens in the church. So we agree to be gentle with each other. 
with patience. Patience isn't a matter of sort of blithely sitting back and just, you know, wishing that something will change or wishing that something will happen. Um, That's wishful thinking, not patience. The Greek word is better translated in the older English translations, uh, long-suffering. It's going to take a while, Paul says, to live this way and to maintain this unity, and it's going to hurt. It's going to cost you stuff. It's going to cost pride. It's going to cost position. It's going to cost place. It's going to cost feelings sometimes. It's going to cost letting go of, you know, things that you held and cherished, but think if I'm going to be together in unity with this group and with this person, you know, I'm going to have to let go of some other thing. It's going to cost. There's suffering involved. And bearing with one another in love. That phrase, bearing with one another, just doubles down on the long suffering. That word in the Greek means to hold up. It means to endure. It means to suffer. It means to persist. That's what it takes. That's what it means to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It means living with humility, gentleness, long-suffering, and patient, challenging persistence with this mission that God has given us, this purpose of living together and humble, loving unity with diversity. That's God's plan for the maintenance of the church. Now, I've got a few minutes left. I've got about five and a half minutes left. For once, I'm not going like crazy over. I think I can get it done in five and a half minutes. Here we go. We've got to talk a little bit more about that phrase, abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. If you've been in the church for a while, depending on your tradition you're in, uh, I, I have often heard that preached, and selfishly, I've often, this, was, this is part of a prayer. Paul was praying, and he was writing this, and prayed it in very materialistic ways. Abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. God, I'd really like a good job, but maybe if I'm praying for it, God will give me an even better job than I ask or imagine. God, I'd like some more money. Please, God, give me some money. Uh, And I'm going to hope that God will give me more than I can ask or imagine. The problem with that is I can imagine a whole lot of money. That's not what Paul's writing about. Paul's very efficient in his writing. He's not wasting verbiage. Everything in this letter is consistent with his message. And the message is God's purpose in the world is to unite all things in himself and that we as the called out church are to be witnesses of that humble, loving, justice-based unity in this world. So what is it that is more than we can ask or imagine? The unity and the diversity. More than we can ask or imagine. Get this. When Jesus walked and lived on this earth, um, no one, no one, other than Jesus, thought the Messiah was for anyone but the Jewish people. For anyone but the Jewish people. That's what the scripture testified. Now, the world would be blessed, but it would be blessed according to the the understanding of the day as as the nation of Israel was reestablished, they would serve as a light to the nations. So there would be an indirect blessing, but, but the Messiah was for the Jewish people. And when Jesus, before he rose up, said to his disciples, uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, what his disciples heard is we are being sent to bear witness to the Jewish diaspora wherever they are in the world. 
And then as they were out doing that, these non-Jewish folks, the Gentiles, you and me and everyone else in the world who's not Jewish, they started following Jesus. And even more than that, the Holy Spirit started coming on them and in them in the way that the Holy Spirit was on Jesus and on his disciples. Power was coming out of them. Holy Spirit power. It was amazing. And they weren't Jewish. And the disciples were like, this is diversity beyond anything we ever asked or imagined. This is diversity beyond anything asked or imagined. Part of what we need to grasp here is God's vision for this unity, uniting all things in himself, and all things on heaven and earth in himself. That diversity is beyond anything we can imagine. If we think we can imagine the limits of it, we're wrong. We're wrong. And this brings me to my t-shirt. Now, this is, I know this is a controversial topic. I'm going to talk about it because in the wake of the shooting at Club Q last week, I think we need to talk about it. I want to read another verse from Romans. I lied. I'm not going to get this done in five minutes. <laughs> Romans 2, 13 uh, through 16. Or, yeah. Yeah, let's just do it up here. For it is not the hearers of the law, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's the doers of the law who will be justified. When Gentiles who do not possess the law, that's the Bible, that was the only Bible there was at that time, the Jewish scriptures, who do not possess that, when they do instinctively what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, to which their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God, through Jesus Christ, will judge the secret thoughts of all. Some folks who don't know anything about the Bible do instinctively exactly what the Bible teaches us to do in a given situation. And so doing, they're showing that that law is in their hearts. This happened at Club Q. When a man came in motivated by a bias-based hatred to kill people whom he hated and feared, irrationally hated and feared. And who responded? The two key actors the two key actors who responded, Richard Fierro, a straight man who was there with his wife and his daughter and his daughter's boyfriend to watch one of the drag performers that was going that night. And, and he was ex-military and he said, it just kicked in and I went after the guy. But he didn't go after him alone. He was joined by a trans woman. And the two of them wrestled the gun away from the shooter and disabled him and with some help from others that were there as well. I don't know what their faith background is. I have no idea. But let's just, let's, let's just say they, they weren't Christians. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But whatever was happening, that was according to the law of God. Putting your own life at risk to step up and cut off violent, hostile behavior that's seeking to divide and to destroy. And that's exactly what they did. It's exactly what they did. And as poignant as that is, at least to me, and I think to a lot of folks, Joshua Thurman's statements cut me even deeper. Josh Thurman was a patron of Club Q and apparently a, a, a regular at Club Q. And after the shooting, 
He told this to a reporter. This is one of the first places where I felt accepted to be who I am. What are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? How are we supposed to feel safe? The bar was his only safe place. I did a quick Google search. Google's nifty. Over 50 churches in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Found an article from NPR from a few years ago, about 15 years ago. I don't know whether this is still true. The numbers have probably changed a little bit, but according to this article, at that time, there were over 100 separate evangelical organizations in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And the only place Joshua Thurman could find to be safe was a bar. Anybody else think there's something wrong with that? 52 churches, 100 evangelical organizations, and the only place he can find to be safe is in a bar? One of our core values is safety. And, and, and I know that LGBTQ plus stuff, there's, there's, people disagree, and we can disagree on some of the finer points on that, but can we agree that this church ought to be safe for anyone who comes here? Can we, that's why I'm wearing this shirt. It was pointed out to me a few weeks ago, and I'm so grateful for it because sometimes I got to get hit in the head with a two-by-four. We've talked for years about how before new folks come to a church these days, they go to the website. And if they don't see on the website someone that looks like them, including, you know, someone that looks like them, then they're going to feel like this is not a safe place for me. And they're not likely going to come and check it out. And when it comes to male-female diversity and ethnic diversity, we got that covered. But we can't, you know, look in. Our LGBTQ plus sisters and brothers can't look on the website and see, am I safe there? And so I started wearing the pride pins, and I wore this shirt today. I discovered on the video and the online, you can't even tell it's a, what I, I even got a pin on. But I wanted folks to see. If you're LGBTQ+, you got a safe place other than the bar you can come to where people will love you and receive you and accept you. And again, I know we disagree on some different points about this. Can we, can we agree on that? Can we say amen to that? that folks are safe. And, and some of you may want to do the same thing, wear a shirt or a pen or something like that. So when people come on Sunday morning and they walk in and they peek in and they cautiously look in and see, is there anyone like me? And they can see that and say, okay, I'm safe here. I'm safe here. See, because that's our witness. That's our witness. Loving, humble unity that's based on justice, not domination, born out of the Holy Spirit and God's plan and purpose for us. That's our witness. Don't let anything divide us into judgmental factions or unjust hierarchies. Instead, we must make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I'm wrapping up. A couple minutes over. We can, we've been called to this. We've been gifted with this by God. 
with this purpose, this plan, this call, we have, a per, we have permission and a mandate to love an incredibly diverse group of people beyond anything we could ask or imagine. Let's live that with boldness and with joy. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.